Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer was fired as commander of Space Force for comments he made in his book, Irresistible Revolution, where he takes the radical stance that neo-Marxist race hustlers may not be good for the military. I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. It was his assertion that he saw things like the 1619 Project being taught to new recruits. Now, maybe he's right. Maybe we should listen to the numerous scholars who decried the project as biased and revisionist history. Maybe the simple fact it would be another 160 years before America was actually founded. It might have helped the author Nicole Hannah-Jones to know that slavery actually was illegal in the colony and that only 20 Africans originally came over in 1619 and they were indentured servants, not slaves, which means that they were serving beside other white people. All of that should have given pause to the military, but they persisted to teach that kind of nonsense. But more importantly, the overall assertion of the 1619 Project is that America is a white supremacist nation founded upon systemic racism in the present. A rethinking of America's history. If true, no black person should ever want to fight in the military. I wouldn't defend that nation, but apparently that message has resonated with recruits because last week, Private Travis King defected from the military by crossing into North Korea illegally. And there he claimed asylum because, quote, he harbored ill feelings against the inhumane mistreatment and racial discrimination within the U.S. Army. Good news, though. For those humanitarians out there, that racial refugee is being released from North Korea because apparently... Even Kim Jong-un has no tolerance for racial grifters. It's a real shame, though. Biden would have inevitably given millions of dollars to North Korea to save that young man from the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. It might help to inform you that Travis's take on the story is a little suspect, by the way. Before his brave dash for freedom into a totalitarian dictatorship, Travis had been expelled from South Korea because on two separate occasions, he assaulted a police officer and most recently kicked and damaged a squad car. Where might that animosity toward the police be coming from? Of course, other than alcohol, I mean. One only has to guess. More on that in a moment. Following his expulsion, the military ordered Travis back home to face consequences, at which time his Emmett Till moment arrived. None of us know when history will call upon us to stand. None of us know when it will be our moment to truly make a difference in the history of the world. When justice demands that we take brave action, we just have to respond. And like all great men before him, Travis King did just that. He mustered up the courage to resist his racial oppressors. And he ran. He ran so fast, like only a person can when their crimes are catching up to them. Run, Forrest, run! But run, he did. And freedom, well, maybe he didn't find it, but he did find the promised land of one of the most repressive regimes in human history in North Korea. His brain must have been filled with the thoughts of great men that ran before him like Jackie Robinson rounding third or like Jesse Owens sticking to, to Hitler and winning multiple golds at the Olympics. But run, he did. And we're all better for it. Or, and this is a big or, the racial narrative that many people have been duped into believing is a convenient excuse for bad behavior. Well, that is, of course, unless you're white. Dear white people, 
if I had assaulted a police officer and damaged his possessions. And while being charged for it, I said, this is only happening because I'm white. The world would laugh. And it wouldn't laugh because white people are immune to discrimination in America. I mean, go read Jamel Hill sometime or The Root publication, and you'll see that hatred toward white people actually is pretty common. The reason people would laugh at my claim is the same reason that we all must laugh at Travis King's claim and all others like it. Because in two words, it is so stupid. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Did you know that IndieThinker is a tax-exempt organization? That means if you want to help support the work that we do here, you can do so and get tax exemptions for that. Now, as you consider end of your giving, we want to highly encourage you to think about supporting what we do here at IndieThinker. If it's been beneficial to you at all, you can help us continue that work and take it even further. But we've even gone the extra mile to try to help those of you who may not have disposable income, especially with our present economy. And if you are interested in trying to kick woke out of your bathroom, you can help support IndieThinker by going to our Herbal Alchemy store. Now, go to the description where you'll find a bit.ly link that will take you directly to our store. And there you can find some of the greatest all-natural health and beauty products. You can even find something called Arise, which is an all-natural supplement that provides energy and nutrients to your body in a way that is much better for you than even coffee. So if you want to kick coffee out of your kitchen, uh, Herbal Alchemy is a great way to do that. But again, to do that and to help support the show, you need to go to our Herbal Alchemy link, which is found in the description of this podcast, or you can see it on the screen right now. It's a bit.ly link forward slash IndieThinker. Now, again, when you go there, you'll also be supporting not just IndieThinker, but also Herbal Alchemy, which is a great Christian company that fights human trafficking around the world. So please take a moment to check that out. We thank you for your support. What is highly important that you have a finely tuned BS meter if you're going to survive in society today because very often the things we are told are not really so. Uh, this is especially the case as we look deep into the culture wars. So for instance, we were told long ago that Ron DeSantis was outlawing the word gay in schools and you could never say the word gay. Even if you were talking about having a gay old time, you could not say it because Ron DeSantis is basically Hitler reincarnated. And in order to resist this kind of fascism, Disney stepped up to the plate to make sure that they subverted the democratic process and put the full weight of one of the biggest corporations in the history of the world behind legislation in the state of Florida. And of course, then that legislation was donned the don't say gay bill, because of course it says nothing about not saying gay and only says that you can't sexually indoctrinate children at the age of whatever your age you are, third grade and below. If we're gonna have those, uh, you know, adult conversations, can we at least wait until fourth grade to start having some of those? That's simply what the legislation said, but it didn't stop Disney from jumping in there and acting as though they were civil rights defenders and that they were fighting the civil rights issue of our age. Now, if you listened to Disney and didn't have a finely tuned BS meter, you might actually be tempted to believe them, but of course it was total nonsense. Now in the past, conservatives have kind of taken a tack of, you know, you do you, we're in the majority, so we're gonna kind of just, you know, enjoy our time in the sun and you, 
people out there who are claiming marginalized status, you know, you, you just do what you want to in your little circles. But of course, we saw how quickly that backfired on us. You know, we even said things like, you know, what happens in Twitter and what happens on social media, that's just, it's just social media. That's not the real world. But of course, we've seen how organizations have been infested with the kind of things we see on social media and how it has impacted our society. Well, as a result of that, conservatives have started to slowly but surely wake up from their slumber, and they have revolted against companies who are trying to push lies and leftist ideological programs down our throat rather than just actually carrying out their fiduciary responsibility to the people who, you know, may be stakeholders in that company. So, for instance, Bud Light is now uh, about $400 million in the hole, and most recently, now by the way, that's kind of like a month old statistic, so it might be even more than that now, but just recently, uh, Bud Light is set to lose important shelf space because of how little their product is moving in other stores, which means that they are not yet done with the aftermath of conservatives revolting against Bud Light because of their tacit, I would say, even if uh, not explicit endorsement of of Dylan Mulvaney. And then, of course, Target has felt the repercussions of conservatives taking a stand. And now Target is facing a record six-year low drop in revenue, a total of 6%. And then, of course, Disney has been hemorrhaging viewers from Disney Plus and then experiencing flop after flop after flop because of their cultural agenda. But Maybe good news on the horizon because Disney investors just this past week met and there we were assured by Bob Iger that we would see a quieting to the culture war, that Disney would go back to family entertainment and trying to make sure that kids were educated about the things that actually matter in this life rather than whether or not they should believe that a man can dress up as a woman and dress provocatively in front of children in public libraries. So Bob Iger said at this thing that they're going to quiet the culture war, but here's the real question. Can we trust them? Well, here's our friends over at Nerdrotic exposing some things that I think are relatively important as it pertains to the future of Disney and whether or not we can trust that they will actually disengage from the culture war as they have in the past. Check it out. I was laughing so hard when I woke up yesterday morning and saw this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Disney's CEO plans to quiet the noise in the culture war. This was noise. written, this is on National Review by Caroline Downey on September 20th. Yeah, okay. I couldn't help. I felt like I had deja vu or something. Well, you did. Disney CEO plans to quiet the noise in the culture war. So then I, of course, very quickly looked something up and I realized. That back in November, <laughs> this is an article from Caroline Downey on National Review with the same f***ing Bob Iger picture. Jordan <laughs> <laughs> oh, Disney's CEO plans to quiet down culture war controversies. <laughs> Holy s***. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, you might find that incredibly interesting, as I do, that the same reporter has consistently tried to write press for Disney saying that they're trying to quiet the culture war. Uh, so not only is that a repeated claim, and they don't seem to be making good on that claim, that first claim was made within the backdrop of this investor meeting that took place many months before this most recent one. And I want you to hear what Bob Iger had to say about quieting the culture war. Check it out. Of course, with the standard that when we take a position on those matters, there's a true reason why we have. And in almost all cases, it has fiduciary. to be, be because it, uh, it directly affects 
uh, our business or our people. This is and why Vanguard back, left you know, the DEI decades, corporate America climate change expressed stuff. themselves on numerous issues of both right and wrong. And our country, I think, is better off for that. And this was evident during the civil rights era, as I recall, as a child, when a lot of companies weighed in. On you know, teaching four-year-olds about bedroom issues it was with civil rights. True during World War II he just did. He's comparing oh, teaching four-year-olds bedroom uh, issues still, with World War II. So there you have it. Basically, making sure that we shove the LGBTQIA plus ad infinitum unicorn, rabbit's foot, four-leaf clover, community, movement, whatever you want to call it, Making sure that we shove that down the throat of children is so important to us, we equate it as essentially fighting the Nazis in World War II. It is basically civil rights 2.0, the civil rights issue of our day. It has nothing to do with racial discrimination. It has to do with the fact that these pesky parents don't want their kids sexually indoctrinated by a group of strangers. Perhaps, I don't know, that should be done within the context of you know, the parenting relationship rather than an activist organization. So we all know at this point in time who's really in charge of Disney, and it isn't Bob Iger. I won't even say it's the employees, although I think there's some truth to that. What's really in charge at Disney is a left-wing ideology that pushes them into much of what they do. So this is where I kind of come back. This is uh, an argument I make about elections and something I've talked about on the show very often, but I, I hope we can understand something. There really is no middle ground. I'm going to talk about this more on the show on, on Thursday, so I hope you check that out. But, but there really isn't middle ground on the most important issues of life. We, we, we say when presidents come around and, and they're trying to be elected into office, we say, well, it doesn't matter what they do on Sunday. We care about their policies. And I would argue that actually what they do on Sundays does matter because their morality is going to infuse all of their policies because there really isn't any idea that's worth discussing that doesn't have a moral framework underneath it. So... Many people kind of quantify this as Christian nationalism, and I, and, and I wholly reject that because, because it isn't. The idea is just simply this, that as a society, we have to have a social contract. That social contract is built upon a basic morality, and that basic morality has to come from somewhere. Now, many of you think that that basic morality just came from pure liberalism in the past, but really liberalism was only borrowing ideas, at least the good ideas that they had were only borrowing ideas from the Judeo-Christian values that this country was built upon. Whenever we talk about freedom in the first place, well, who says that we're supposed to be free? I mean, who says that our freedom actually won't get us into a lot of trouble? Of course, we know that it does. But, but freedom is an idea that's firmly rooted in Scripture. God gives his people freedom even at the expense of them being able to abuse that freedom, which is why we need law enforcement and why the Bible says that those people bear not the sword in vain. The whole point of this is just simply that there is a moral framework undergirding everything that we think and we believe in society. Now, you may say, well, I'm just pure science. Well, of course, you've, you've studied everything and you know all the science that there is to know in the world. And of course, science, at the end of the day, does actually tell us all we need to know about everything. There's no hypothesis, no guesses. Science is the all-conclusive God that we need in the universe. But of course, we know that to be totally nonsense. Nonetheless, it's important to understand that 
Our money is best spent within the context of organizations who actually believe the kind of things and endorse the kind of values that you want to see in society. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't look for opportunities to believe Bob Iger and Disney and to go back to them with your tail between your legs. Keep up fighting and resist whatever temptation you may have to try to entertain your children with Disney and look for other alternatives. Now let's move on to our next story because there is more BS going on in society today, specifically over the narrative of the government shutdown. So when the left comes out and they quickly decry the government shutdown as one of the worst things that could possibly happen, the question is, should we take them seriously? I mean, January 6th was one of the worst moments in the history of human civilization. And on January 6th, apparently, you know, right-wing Republicans were trying to shut down democracy. Kind of sounds similar to what Jamal Bowman just did when he pulled the fire alarm while the House was trying to discuss this appropriations bill and whether or not they were going to fund the government before the government shut down. So you would think that if the left really is interested in democracy and they love it so much, they might have something to say about Jamal, Jamal Bowman, but not, no such luck. But here is what we have been hearing from Democrats over and over and over again, multiple of them, that the food insecure will suffer as a result of this government shutdown. Here's them saying that. WIC is a program that impacts and affects over 50% of all the newborns in this country. Uh, nearly 7 million pregnant moms, uh, new mothers and young children count on WIC every single day uh, to receive support, nutrition assistance support. With a shutdown, uh, what we would see across the United States is a denial of those benefits and opportunities. Uh, in some cases, uh, it would be uh, literally within a matter of days after the shutdown. Uh, in some cases, it may be, in some states, it may be literally in a matter of weeks. But clearly, uh, during the course of a shutdown, Millions of those moms, uh, babes, and young children uh, would see a lack of nutrition. You heard it right. If the government shuts down, people will not be able to eat, they will not be able to feed their babies, and there will be catastrophic rise in the death of babies. Now, you would think that they might have a problem with Planned Parenthood if they actually cared about babies, but I guess we can't expect them to be that honest in a situation like this. So now they care about children. Now they care about babies and mothers and taking care of them. The, so the left thinks that in order for that to happen, for babies to truly be taken care of, that you need to be able to have WIC. Well, here's why I don't think that that is entirely true. Now, WIC certainly is beneficial. I won't say that it doesn't help some people, but, but there is a there is a counter effect to WIC that I think we need to be honest about. And for those who don't know, WIC is essentially a kind of food program for expectant mothers and mothers of young, of young children. It helps them get um, formula. It helps them get other food items that can help not only the mother's body, but also help those babies receive that kind of nourishment. But there is a counter effect to what the government does, as there often is, and we have to be honest about those things. And so the first thing that you need to know is that WIC has been horrible for fathers and for mothers. One of the ways that it has been bad for them is that breastfeeding rates have been decreased as a result of WIC. So it has caused more women to immediately go onto formula. Now, the government actually knew this a while back and they tried to implement programs that 
encouraged education for breastfeeding so that mothers wouldn't just immediately put their kids on formula because it's not what's best for the kid. But even with all of those programs that the government tried to institute, 56% of WIC women initiate breastfeeding, but by six months, only 20% of those women are still trying to breastfeed. Now, there's one bigger problem with the government being there and women and newborns depending upon the government for their, their nourishment. What if the government fails? What if the government fails? I mean, it's, it's obviously not a concern immediately, but, but what if the government is not there to try to help people who are food insecure? Wouldn't it be better to try to help them find the necessary tools that they need to gain that for themselves? But the government will never do that because, of course, their policy is to throw money at whatever is happening and hope the problem goes away. But more importantly, their recipe is to always be needed. And this is why they want to keep the government open. They don't want you to actually understand that if they go away, they're actually not that important. Uh, but, their, but their policy is always to try to create programs that demand them to do more things. Now, the, the final thing, and I think the most important thing is just this, is what if it keeps people from trusting in the government rather than really trusting in themselves? You know, we used to say this, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And we used to have this understanding of suffering and struggle, helping you become a better person, rather than the government just stepping in and making your life easier. So the government was never supposed to really make life easier for us. And I'm not going to say entirely that, that's, that, I, that I dislike that because I actually believe in limited social safety nets. But what I am going to say is that it's really easy for those limited social safety nets to get bigger and bigger and bigger. The government was supposed to provide freedom so that people could have the, the platform to succeed. They were supposed to do that and really only that. They were not supposed to be food producers for people so that we place our very livelihood, our very, our very lives upon whether or not the government stays open. That was never meant to be what the government was there for. You and I both know this to be the truth, whether we want to admit it or not in this situation, because our hearts go out to people who don't have the resources they need. But you and I both know that everything worth succeeding in is actually really hard. I'm not arguing that there shouldn't be ways in which the government can make that easier. I am just simply saying this, that we better be mindful. We better have a moral lens by which we view how we help people because we may actually be making life way harder for these people than actually helping. The only analogy I can think of is the butterfly analogy, that if you help that butterfly get out of the cocoon rather than him push against that cocoon himself, his wings will not be strong enough to support him when he finally emerges and he won't be able to fly and he will die. And we have to at least be honest about the ways in which we're trying to help that are actually not beneficial to society. And I don't think dependence upon the government is benevolence. It's not. And what it may actually be is the creation of a voter black for Democrats. And we need to resist that at all costs. So government shutdown, how big of a deal is it actually? Probably not that much. Let's jump into our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh God of pronouns. 
Othal Wallace is a member of a black nationalist group, and he was just given the lesser charge of manslaughter by a jury of his peers for shooting a police officer in the head and killing him. After this murder caught on film, Othal Wallace posted to his Instagram about putting pigs in their place and then fled to Georgia, where his hate group, the NFAC, hid him for some time. For the record, his group's name is the Not Effing Around Coalition. Here's him explaining his comments on social media at his murder trial. Well, you refer to law enforcement as a case, don't you? No, sir. In fact, after you killed Officer Rayner or shot him, you went on Instagram and you posted that I, I'm not going to let these pigs do anything to me, correct? Say it up to them. I said, I said, yes, I did refer to as pigs, but when I say the word pigs, I'm not specifically always talking about police officers. What's she talking about? I'm talking about people who don't see me as human. Okay, so when you shot Officer Rayner, you referred to him as a pig, and all the other people as pigs, the officers, correct? No, not just all, not just when I said it again, I'm referring to people who don't see me as human. With all that in mind, the jury's manslaughter charge is a total travesty of justice for this animal. But Wallace's attorney thought even that was too much because he just filed motion for a retrial. Attorney Gary Wood, according to Fox, claims that Wallace did not receive a fair trial, alleging that acquittal was not an option and also questioning procedures regarding the presentation of evidence and jury instructions. Wood states that several timely objections were overruled before and during the trial, which favored the prosecution and asserts that the following grounds exist for a new trial. Thankfully, this farce was totally thrown out and this man will have to do at least a little bit of time. So I guess we'll just have to resign ourselves to wondering what could have happened if this black supremacist caught killing a cop on film could have become what kind of man might he have been if only justice was served and he was let out to kill again. Unfortunately, we'll never know how many more cops could have been murdered by this pure soul. Now, compare the leniency that Othel Wallace received to what happened to three pro-lifers who were this month charged of violating the FACE Act. In other words, they were standing in the front door of an abortion clinic and keeping people from going in. So here's the story there. Joanne Bell, according to evidence presented at trial, Marshall and Bell were among a group that forcibly entered the clinic and blocked two clinic doors using their bodies, furniture, chains, and ropes. Once the blockade was established, Darnell, who remained outside the clinic, live-streamed their activities on social media. The evidence also showed that the defendants violated the FACE Act by using a physical obstruction to injure, intimidate, and interfere with the clinic's employees and a patient because they were providing or obtaining reproductive, reproductive health services. Sure. The defendants each face a maximum penalty of 11 years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release and a fine of up to $350,000. If you were wondering the correlation here, I'll spell it out clearly for you. Joanne Bell, at 70 years old, could face up to 11 years in prison for standing in a front door to protect babies. Othal Wallace can face up to 15 years in jail for shooting a cop in the face and killing him. If there is a two-tiered justice system in America, it is the system of justice enacted whenever a leftist judge presides over an issue on the right. Let's play a quick game that should all help us. It's called Who is the Real Murderer? It's a bit like Clue, so you should know this game well. It's also important because the difference between manslaughter and murder is intent. So who has the real intent here? 
With what you know about Mr. Wallace, do you think he had intent? With what you know about Belle, did she have intent? The answer to both of these is yes. They both had intent. That's correct. Joe Ann Bell is guilty. She violated the FACE Act. She stood in front of a door. And as a result of it, she's a hero for volitionally breaking the law. But one of these people was saving life while the other one was taking it. So here's the claim. Claim one, if that baby in a woman's belly is a baby, then Joanne Bell was attempting to save lives. And now here's the question, especially for those of you who are leftists out there, what might be in a woman's belly if not a baby? Now claim number two, if the baby in a woman's belly is a baby, then what should we do to protect the baby? So there's an argument that's used on the left all the time as it pertains to trans kids, as though those actually existed. And the argument is that a parent has the right to do with their kid whatever they want, parents' rights and all that. You know, you Republicans talk about parents' rights, but how come you won't let parents shove hormone blockers and cross-sex hormones into the mouths of their, of their children? Well, here's why. Because there are laws on the book that protect children even from their parents because we understand that not all parents are created equal. There are some parents who wish to throw their kids inside of ovens. I mean, as gross and disgusting as that sounds, there are parents who have done that in the past. And so there are laws on the books to try to protect kids even from their parents. So in other words, it is possible that we can logically think about what Joanne Bell did from this perspective, that even if the parent wanted to harm the child, it's the obligation of a good society to stop that person. And that's the third claim. If the baby in a mother's belly is a baby, what should we do to protect that baby? Well, we have a moral and civil obligation to stop someone who is hurting a baby. And as we all know, to the tune of almost a million babies each year, and as we all know, about a million babies are aborted each year. So you answer the question, who is the sane person and who is the insane person? Is Joanne Bell really insane for trying to stop this humanitarian crisis going on in our country? Or have we been so brainwashed to believe that the systemic racism in our country demands that we let a guy like Othell Wallace off the hook with only a slap on the wrist and basically put Joanne Bell and her friends in prison for about the same time. With all the talk of economic disparity, the school-to-prison pipeline, and racial disparity in prisons, maybe we should take a look at what's really happening in America and be honest. I'm accused on my show of being too general at times in my assertions, and fair enough, I am. I sometimes use generalizations because those generalizations are true. Sure. Is there racial injustice in America? Yeah, 100%. Are there criminals in prison right now who don't deserve to be there? Yes, but that is mostly an exception to the rule. Rather than trying to find exceptions to prove that you're right, I'd rather acknowledge that there are times where what I'm saying is wrong on limited uh, occasions, but by and large, totally true. And then therefore, we should generally accept those ideas. And one of those generalizations is that the left is no place for Christians. The Democratic Party is no place for Christians. You may think protesting at abortion clinics is in bad taste, but I'd ask you if that's because you really think that a baby in the womb is really a baby. If so, you should be doing something. 
Maybe you know that and you're trying to find a way to rationalize your apathy. Look, I get it. We all have to come to terms with our sin and not doing things about what's going on in the world and repent of it. But please don't think for a moment that there isn't a clear line of distinction between what's happening in society today and being drawn in culture. And we have to decide where we stand. Will we fall for the radical grift or will we stand against the weaponization of the DOJ by those on the left? I want to show you one last video because I believe it makes up the vast majority of modern Christians. So in this clip, you'll hear a sentiment that I hear echoed very often. You judge for yourself what you think. Pastor Sam, I go, yes, we have on our team, our board, we have one question for you. I go, wow, what is your question? The guy goes, Pastor Sam, our church leans left. Where do you lean? So help me, so many thoughts went through my head. I'm thinking they're going to ask me, you're going to have a Spanish service, you're going to have a Slavic service. No! Our church leans left. Where do you lean? Wow. And the Holy Spirit hit me. Wow. Said, go ahead, say it. I opened up my mouth and said, sir, with great due deference, we don't lean. We stand. We stand. We stand. We stand on the word of God. We stand on the promises of God. We stand on the finished work of Jesus. As a matter of fact, sir, whatever the Bible calls sin, we call sin. Whatever the Bible calls holiness, we call holiness. The speaker here is Sammy Rodriguez. I love him. I love his passion. I love what he's trying to communicate even here, that we should have a Bible-first policy. Undoubtedly true. But he's also technically wrong. If a Christian puts the Bible first, they'll be on the conservative right. For my friends who hate generalities, here's one for you. When a Christian stands up on scripture, they will fundamentally side with the right and only superficially disagree with them on almost everything. I get what he's saying. Jesus is neither Republican nor Democrat, obviously. But Jesus clearly asks us to pick a side on the issues that matter most and to choose this day whom we will serve, whether you like labels or not. If you pick the Jesus side, you'll slowly find that you're consistently siding with conservatives on the right. Surprise! Guess what that makes you? When you finally wake to that startling realization, it'll be time to realize that the most important issues in life aren't settled with postulates and abstractions or even emotional talking points. They are settled with real-world application like votes and policies and action. And it's time we started doing something about it. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.